This meeting is being recorded. And the dueling this meeting is being recorded messages tells you that it's another time. It's time for another episode of Forward Maryland. Today is Saturday, June 18th. Wishing dads, potential dads, future dads out there a wonderful Father's Day weekend. And of course, uh, you know, a, a meaningful Juneteenth for our nation. My name is Bill Woodcock. And I'm Steve Hunt, and I echo Bill's wishes for not only Father's Day for, for those who are serving in that role in some whatever capacity, and obviously Juneteenth, uh, the brand new holiday. Uh, this is, a, I believe, the first year with Juneteenth and everything else bolted in, so I uh, hope everybody can celebrate that as well in whatever way you want. And it's going to be a beautiful weekend. I mean, we've got windows open here in beautiful downtown North Laurel, Maryland, so uh, enjoy that weather, folks. It's uh it's not something you see around these parts very often. Well, well, Steve, it's actually the second year for Juneteenth. It was enacted last right. year, because I remember because the president signed the bill, and then we had off the next day. Yeah. Um, but, 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 after, I'll just say it was after everything else. Yeah, Some of them well, well that, that's good. But I, I want to ask you a more important question before we get to our, our show today, which is, which is the breaking overnight political news has been that uh, former President Trump has chosen to once again prove himself maybe the most upstanding man of letters uh, who has ever served in the office of the presidency in his, uh, as was touted, powerful response to the January 6th commission. He referred to Adam Schiff, Congressman Schiff, who sits on the commission as a quote-unquote watermelon head. Steve, has anybody ever referred to your your head as the shape of anything other than a head? Any sort of mineral, vegetable, animal, anything else? Uh, besides egghead, uh, no. Um, and, which is why I will never shave my head because um, I've, I've got a nice little bump back here. So I have the classic uh, egghead shape. But uh, uh, any sort of fruit, vegetable, or other piece of produce? Uh, don't think so. Uh, the other thing we would say about the former president is he seems to be uh, obsessed with a, a certain part of the female anatomy. He either grabs it or calls people it, <laughs> apparently, from the January 6th hearings. So uh, 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 apparently, um, I don't know, maybe he's a wannabe porn star. Who knows? I got nothing. Oh. Well, I, I'm not sure. I, my 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 seven and my size seven and seven eighths dome has been called many things uh, uh, relevant to its its and uh, possibly large size. So, but I'm I'm not sure if I've ever gotten watermelon head. You know, rock head, hard head. That was from the parents. You know, many yeah. other things. But uh, you know, and I believe once someone once drew a picture of my head with with branches coming out of it like some sort of weird chimeric half animal like a Groot so I, I, I don't understand but anyway uh, good to see the former president back on his game elevating discourse in our nation as we try to do here and uh, as, as we have touted during this month it is purple month and so as it being part of Purple Month, uh, we are talking about um, Democrats and left-leaning uh, entities and, and how we, you know, how, how, we, how we rise, really, how we 
um, diversify our message and uh, our politics into taking back the areas that are you know, more falling prey and those people who are more falling prey to the, to the sounds of uh, the man of letters and his ilk. And so today, we, it's our honor to have Monica Biddix, who is the uh, founder of Workhorse Strategies, today as our guest. Monica, welcome to the show. Thank you, Bill and Steve. Thank you for having me. All right. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and also, um, you know, about what Workhorse Strategies does? Sure. Be happy to. Um, I have been uh, working in the political arena for uh, just over a decade in various capacities, just about everything you can do from municipal races to uh, gubernatorials, presidentials, uh, U.S. Senate. Uh, managing campaigns all across the country. Uh, spent a good bit of time uh, living and working in Iowa. I'm originally from North Carolina and now call Baltimore, Maryland home. So uh, I've lived in a wide variety of places, seen politics from a lot of different angles uh, in rural areas, in urban areas. I've, I've worked for very quote unquote progressive candidates and I've worked for moderate candidates, uh, Democrats as well. Uh, done uh, nonpartisan ballot initiatives. Um, and a couple of years ago, uh, I decided, uh, partly because partly I think is what, what is wrong with our political arena is um, there are some consultants out there who take advantage of, of, of candidates at times. Um, and so I decided, you know, that I wanted to break out on my own. I was tired of seeing that. And um, now I do PR uh, communications, general consulting. For, for anything, if you're running for, if you're running for county council, if you're running for Congress, uh, if you're running for state Senate, any sort of legislative races or anything, um, just came off a win in Iowa. I'm working with the team uh, with Admiral Mike Franken, who is running to defeat uh, Senator Grassley, who is currently 88 years old and will be uh, 95 if he was to serve out his next term, which is absolutely ridiculous. So. Um, that's great. Uh, so that's what we do. Our website is uh, workhorsestrategies.com. Willing to help anyone and everyone out there, uh, whether it's lifting up their, their, their professional profile or running for office, just getting started. Um, I always like to uh, talk to people before they get started because a lot of times, especially first-time candidates, make a lot of mistakes out of the gate uh, that end up uh, hurting them in the long run. So uh, that's kind of the background that, that I bring. And I'm happy to get into discussion about uh, purple states and uh, what we can do to make, uh, what we can do to help uh, our country thrive. And, you know, at this point, save our democracy. Mm -hmm. So I remember, so thank you, Monica, for that introduction. So so I, I've been following Lee, former Admiral Franken's campaign uh, kind of closely. Uh, especially since uh, one, he is such a wonderfully qualified candidate, and two, he is, you know, running against, as you mentioned, eighty-eight-year-old uh, Chuck Grassley. Um, you know what? You know what? What? Um, how do you feel that he? You know, in talking about the Iowa electorate, um, how do you feel that? his message resonates to Iowans in perhaps a way that I, I cannot remember the lady's name off the top of my head, 
but the the challenger against uh, Joni yeah, Ernst. Yeah. You know how uh, do you how do you feel well, this campaign is is different? Yeah, versus uh, Teresa Greenfield, who ran yeah, against Teresa uh, Greenfield, who ran against uh, um, uh, God, I just lost her name, Joni Ernst. And also, by the way, just an impressive win by the general because you know he beat Abby Finkenauer in the primary, who was very closely aligned with uh, now President Biden. I believe she was an early endorser in Iowa of the president. And there was a lot of talk about her having the best shot at Grassley um, and, and the possibility even of the president visiting Iowa to support her general election bid. So just to dovetail off of what Bill was asking there. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, she she was the national favorite. Um, we saw things differently um, on the ground in, in Iowa. I, I, I wasn't on the ground. I was on the ground for the primary election, but I had my ear to the ground and was in touch with people who were on the ground. And I was talking to a Washington Post reporter about a week before the primary election. And I told him that, you know, uh, Admiral Franken, if he won, it would shock a lot of people on the East Coast in the D.C. area, uh, but it was not going to shock us uh, on the campaign. We knew how how good we were and where we, what we were seeing on the ground, and it did not come. I think the margin of victory may have um, surprised some people, but uh, we were fairly confident going in. But to, to Bill's point, you know, he, he mentioned uh, the word qualified. And, you know, wouldn't it be great if we got back to electing people who were qualified because we've gotten into this 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 situation where we're uh, what, like we're electing people like Madison Cawthorn, who, who recently got uh, defeated. But that that man had no business being in Congress uh, whatsoever. So, you know, and one of our talking points when we're on the campaign trail is these are serious times that call call for serious candidates. And Admiral Franken brings uh, the kind of resume and background uh, of the people that we used to elect to Congress, you know, uh, almost 40 years in the military. He came uh, from a, he was brought up in a rural uh, part of I Northwest Iowa, which is deep, deep, deep red um, then and, and now. And what we're seeing is his, his biography and his record of service really resonates in Iowa where there are a lot of veterans, a lot of military families. Uh, Joni Ernst, if you remember, also has a has a military background and she is a veteran. Right. And when she ran in 2014, she relied heavily on, on that background. She relied on her, her veteran status and, and motorcycles. Um, but uh, so that bio really resonates with people. Um, I was on the trail uh, from Friday through election day with them. And people would come to our events and they would be wearing their Vietnam veterans shirts. They would be wearing their Marine hat, their army hat. They were so proud to come out there and support someone. There was just this kind of, uh, I don't know, camaraderie and feeling of, you know, belonging in that sense of like coming with veterans and, and, and military families. So his bio was part of it. Um, mm -hmm. He's one of the most uh, intelligent people I've ever met uh, in my life. Uh, He's also very personable, uh, has a good personality. And I think it's a combination of those two things that, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like um, a, a populist candidate. And it's someone that you can't necessarily, you know, uh, build talking points into. He's going to go out there and he'll give his spiel, but he also likes to take questions. And I think people like that, especially people in Iowa, because Iowans are used to, 
vetting the presidential candidates and asking them question after question and bird dogging them. So it's it gives them the ability to do that. And I think it was just kind of a breath of fresh air for for a lot of people. And we had anecdotally, you know, and I hope we're going to be able to capitalize this in, in on the in the general that hearing that Republicans are like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to cross over and vote for you or some that did during the primary. But, you know, Iowa, when I first got there in 2012, was still a purple state. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Senate, we had a Senate majority in the Iowa Senate. Um, I think the House was red and there was a, a Republican governor, but it was still kind of a kind of a toss up. Obama won in, in 2012. Uh, mm-hmm. Now it's just it, it's totally flipped. Uh, and part of that was was because of Trump. Um, and it's still, though, I think the registration numbers are about a, a third Democrat a third Republican and a third no party. So uh, what we're going to have to do, and I think any Democrat in a swing state is going to have to do, um, is you've got to get the no party voters, you've got to get the independents, and you've got to peel off some of those what we call pro-democracy Republicans, those who feel like the party has left them and still believe in some of the core values that have been turned off by the extremism of, of Donald Trump and, and others um, over the past few years. So that's kind of um, mm-hmm. what, what we're going to have to do. And like I said, what anyone, any Democrat running statewide who isn't in a very blue, people like Stacey Abrams, and that's, they have to, we've got to get the independents and some of the Republicans up because we just don't have the numbers uh, if we just get the Democrats. So you said something that was very interesting there, which was, um, you know, a candidate who fits the values and who fits the area in, in, in which they run, and also his native, Admiral Franken's native ties. I remember in, in the 2020 election, you know, there were, you know, I, I you know, um, you know, Jamie Harrison, Amy McGrath, there were these candidates who... You know, I know I was getting bombarded for money to support them because we're going to beat Lindsey Graham. We're going to beat Mitch McConnell. And to me, it really seemed like um, it was more about a symbol than it was against a a person. The campaign was really, I mean, it, it was against them, but it was more importantly against what they stand for. And, and I didn't really get that much of a, of a of a and Sarah Gideon, the candidate in Maine who ran yeah, against yeah. Susan Collins. I mean, in all three of those cases, I get the feeling that yeah, these were people with good stories, but right. they felt imported to me. Is is you know, you're the you're the political professional. I mean, is that is that a perception you have too of, of some of these candidates? You know, you mentioned before about some of these mistakes that these candidates make. Is is one of them a connection issue with with where they're trying to represent? I I believe that is part of it. And one of the critiques that I've heard from many people of the Democratic Party over the past few years is that we're always running against something. Uh, we're running against Donald Trump, we're running against, you know, these these lightning rod candidates like like Lindsey Graham, Mitch McConnell, and you know, even 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 Chuck Grassley. Um, so I think, and, you know, we've done the running against Trump message and, you know, it really, it really hasn't worked. Um, I, I don't think, obviously you can talk about, you know, 
I think January 6th might be an angle that that one can lean into. But, you know, as I think as we've discussed, Bill, you know, the average person walking out of your, your Walmart in rural America either does not know about January 6th or they do not care. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, that's that's just something and, it, and it's unfortunate. Um, but we can talk we can talk about that later. But, yeah, the con- connection issue and, you know, I think it's part of it's to, you know, people getting steered and you, you brought up Teresa Greenfield and, and all this, and she ran a, a different campaign. Of course, she was running during COVID and everything. So that was an issue too. It was kind of hard to connect to voters um, during COVID, but, you know, I've seen um, too often, you know, you have the DCCC, the DSCC and the DNC, you know, they're the, the party machines and you know they've been running campaigns a certain way over the past few years and and i'm not sure that it's that it's working you know you give you give candidates like that that and that's part of franken's appeal um he says things off the cuff you know obviously we have a message and and talking points and everything but he's Mm -hmm. also his own person and he's going to say you know what he knows about the subject in his opinion on something and he's going to be real and it's not going to necessarily going to be canned stuff. So I think, I think the key and another person who's had success uh, in Iowa is Cindy Axney, uh, who represents the third district that includes Des Moines and now a lot of the rural counties. And it's been redrawn a bit, but she always won Polk County and she didn't win any of the other counties, but she didn't let them run up the score. She kept the margins relatively, relatively thin. And she did that. And this was part of our, our strategy in the primary by going and talking to the people in the rural areas um, and just being present in the county counties, holding uh, events, talking to people and, you know, these people aren't necessarily going to always agree with you on everything, but the fact that they're showing up and being there, uh, you know, really says something. And I mean, she um, won a tough election in 2018 where, well, it was a little better year for us in 18, but she won a tough election in 2020 and she's going to have um, a tough election this year. But, you know, I feel confident uh, in her chances because, you know, that's what you've got to do. People need to to show up because Fox News is controlling the brand of the Democrats in in rural America right now. Um, we um, let's see. On one, on one of the trips, oh yeah, I went to the hotel that we were at, um, and Fox News was in the breakfast area. You know, it was playing in the breakfast um, hall of the hotel that morning, and you know. You go to rural America and the gyms that the people go to, Fox News is on. At the McDonald's, Fox News is on. And I think it's like, I don't know, 37% of the popu- of our population is watching Fox News. And that is not, it's not news. Um, until we do something about, about that, I'm not sure we're going to be able to, to, to get through this. You know, the Washington Post... Um, tagline is democracy dies in darkness. Um, I would argue that democracy dies in disinformation um, because so like when you've got a third of, I saw really um, 
alarming poll the other week that, and it was along the same lines, I think it was like 37%, still believe that the election was stolen and right. that Joe Biden is not our rightly elected president. And right. you know, I think that probably coalesces if you ask those same people where they get their news, they're going to say Fox News. And it's, um, I mean, imagine we're like, we're, we're do- going through the anniversary of the Watergate hearings and everything. Now, imagine if there were only three television stations in the January 6th hearings that have been going on last week and this week were only on those three stations. I think you would see a much more concerned populace. And I think you would see uh, the, the opinion of, of Trump go down, but people just aren't seeing it. Or they've been watching Fox News for the past 20 years and they, and they believe it's fake news. It's just, again, that we have to do something about the disinformation. Um, I, it's, it, it's killing our democracy and it's, uh, I'm not, we, we've got to somehow get to those people. And again, like dispel the narrative that's, that's, that's being pushed out. Mm-hmm. I want to, I want to get to talking about some of our Maryland races in a little bit, but Steve, I want to give mm-hmm. you a turn because I am once again, fogging the time and I'm going to turn off my camera because I'm also getting some feedback that I hope doesn't come through with the recording, but I hope that not, not seeing me will, will help. Steve, take it away. <laughs> Thanks, Bill. Thank you, Monica, again. Um, you know, some interesting points you brought up that, that I think should resonate with folks. Um, you know, you talked about Dems, um, really the perception that they're spending too much time running against something, i.e. Trump. And, and you also talked about uh, the Congresswoman and also your strategy in Iowa. And, you know, for those people who think, well, that's Iowa, you know, that's out there in corn country, it's in the Midwest, in the heartland. Um, I would like to introduce them to the 2021 Virginia gubernatorial race, where Terry McAuliffe basically ran on all Trump all the time when trying to tag Glenn Youngkin. And Glenn Youngkin's victory was in part by the fact that he showed up in Northern Virginia and where Biden beat Trump by 30, he only lost by 15. So again, your, your, your point about you know keeping the numbers down, but I want to go back to Iowa and then spread out across the country because I was listening to a uh, podcast not too long ago. It was from uh, Meet the Press, and they were talking about how Dems are doing in rural counties. And, oh, by the way, a lot of the story was in Iowa in Clayton County. <laughs> um, you know, so familiar territory for you, Monica. And, and just some numbers here very quickly. You know, In 1996, Bill Clinton won 50% of those counties that were identified as rural counties. In 2008, Barack Obama was down to 23%, um, still won Iowa. Um, Joe Biden was down to 10%. So, you know, and the number of counties was Clinton 1,117, Obama 455, Biden 194. And they talked to one of the heads of the Clayton County Democratic Party and asked, was there any version of Joe Biden that could have won this year in your county? He's like, nope, would not have happened. I I don't care. And, And this is Joe Biden who ran and got nominated not being the far left person. And he was like, nope. And uh, currently the approval rating in um, the Democratic Party approval rating in rural counties is 41%. So you talked about, you know, Fox News and, and quite, and I don't even think they showed all of the January 6th hearings. I think they may have only showed a snippet or two. So that's one problem as far as January 6th. But um, outside of building a, a media and entertainment conglomerate that the right has, 
what what else can Democrats do on the ground, you know, door to door, person to person to change this perception? Because you could almost say the air war has been lost. I mean, you know, between Fox News, social media, et cetera, you, you know, you, it's going to take years, if ever, to beat that monster that is out there, disinformation. So how, how does that get done maybe in the real world? Uh, you know, that's that's the million dollar question uh, right there. And it, quite frankly, it's one that that we've been trying to answer since uh, since 2016. And the counties that you just mentioned um, are what we call pivot counties. Um, and there are about 20 of them in the state of Iowa, all rural, uh, that went for Obama in 2012 and then flipped to Trump uh, in 2016. Um, I actually happened to be working in Howard County in 2012. And Howard County was in fact the biggest flip in the entire country um, between Obama and Trump. It went 10 points for um, Obama in 2012 and then 10 points for Trump in 2016. It was a 20 point shift. Um, so yeah, that's that's a question that we've been trying trying to answer. And uh, like you said, how to counter counteract um, the, uh, the the airways and you know I still talk to a lot of people who are in those rural counties. Um, you know I'm personally from a red county in in Western North Carolina, so uh, many of my family are Republicans. So you know I'm privy to uh, the the way they the way they think and you know the, their values. Um, the only thing I can say is it. I'm not really. We have to we have to do better branding. Um, I think, and I think if you, and I think that's part of, again, going back to Admiral Franken's appeal. Um, he likes to tell a story where he was um, having a drink with a friend in a, in a bar in a rural, uh, I think it was Sioux City, Sioux Center, where he's from in Northwest Iowa. And they were talking to the, the, the waitress or the server, and she announced to the bar that, you know, this person is the highest ranking a military officer in the state of Iowa. Oh, and he's a Democrat. And so he said, heads just kind of flipped and turned and we're like, oh my goodness. So, I mean, yeah, you think, you think three-star admiral, very high ranking uh, military official, I've got to be a Republican, right? Like, no. So I think like going, um, meeting people where they are, talking to them. I mean, you also, we, we have to stop polarizing one another you know, uh, and interacting with one another, you know, and, and we used to do that, you know, Congress used, Congress even used to do that, believe it or not, like back in the 90s and, and early 2000s when there was bar bipartisanship, you know, I'm on social media a lot because it's my job and, you know, people are, you know, demonizing one another and we've, we've got to, we've got to stop doing that. Yes. What is going on right now is, you know, it's alarming and, you know, there's a lot of lies and propaganda and everything, but, you know, I think we have to go in and say, and talk with one another and talk it out uh, and through, through some of these issues, but, you know, and speaking to your point about McAuliffe, um, I saw a list of potential uh, presidential candidates if Biden didn't, decides not to run. Someone sent me an article of like 10 people and the only one, you know, I'm a little biased being a North Carolina native, but the one who kind of stood out to me was Governor Roy Cooper. And he is another example of someone who's been able to uh, 
run and win statewide. He uh, was successful in 16, in part because of the bathroom bill, but he was mm -hmm. one of the few uh, Democratic governors to win in 16 with Trump on the ticket. Uh, he didn't really have much of a challenger in 2020. Um, so that's what we need, you know, and I was telling some friends, you know, this week, we have to get back to winning, you know, uh, you know, there are, there are all these things that we can infight about and, and everything, but we're not going to have change, uh, unless we start to win elections again. So, you know, I think that should be our focus. Um, and we don't always put up the candidates that are going to be the best candidates in the general election. And, you know, the party's kind of been stepping on its foot for, right. for many years with, by, by, by doing that. And, you know, our tagline in the primary, um, and it was actually on our yard size, was I believe that Michael Franken can defeat Chuck Grassley. So, you know, kind of painting that electability narrative, I think, was one of the major things that played a, played a role in, in our in our uh, in our victory. So, especially in primaries, we've got to get back to electability and you know focus on focus on winning elections, and not no, necessarily. I yeah, sorry, no, no I, and I agree. One of the things that struck me this past week was Val Demings in Florida ran a commercial where she basically unloaded, if you will, on the defund the police narrative. I mean, she, you know, she's obviously a retired cop, um, actually a police chief, quite frankly, and uh, you know, she ran a whole lot ad, and and the message was, I'm not trying to defund anything in here, um, and I think that's something else where you, you to the Fox News and social media. You know, they they take something when it comes to Democrats and they just they turn it into the entire narrative. Um, and uh, so very true. And, and I really appreciate your point about the infighting with Democrats. I mean, we see it here in Maryland. We see it. Bill and I see it here in our own county, which, oh, by the way, is Howard County, Maryland, uh, not to be confused with Howard County, Iowa. Um, but there's a lot of that infighting. And, and I always tell people, you know, while Dems are spending time, you know, fighting over how to run the country, you have an entire party now dedicated to destroying it. So, you know, and, and even things like, you know, I see some of the stuff on social media about the Lincoln Project, or I've seen some pretty horrible tweets about Liz Cheney about, oh, she's not this or that or the other because she voted against this and that. I'm like, guys, right now, Liz Cheney is trying to, you know, her and Kitzinger, Kitzinger and others are trying to help us save our bacon. We can fight later, but right now we've got, a bigger problem than how Liz Cheney voted on something three years ago. So, um, and I, I don't know how to get Democrats because, you know, I'm a, uh, I, I listen to Morning Joe every day, you know, getting ready for work. And, and Scarborough always talks about, it needs to be about winning. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know if, if the Democratic Party hasn't turned into today's version of the Tea Party, where it's all about being right and not about winning. Back, you know, 10 years ago when, you know, the Tea Party basically blew the Republicans' chance of, chances of winning the Senate years ago. So uh, I, how do we, I don't know how we get Democrats to just knock it off, you know? <laughs> and I, I love that. I love that. Exactly. Um, and I mean, I, I think what a lot of Democrats don't realize and understand is the no parties and the independents, they dislike extreme, what they consider extremism on the left, just as much as they dislike extremism on the right. Um, and those are the people that, that we have to get.
And to your point about the, the defund the police kind of narrative, the minute that came out, I was like, this is going to kill us. And I saw friends of mine kind of defending it on social media at the time. And I'm like, well, first rule of politics is if you're explaining something, you're losing. Explaining, you're losing. Uh, so <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. So, and, you know, we do see, and, you know, any, any candidate who's, you know, there's a photo of them holding a sign like that from back, like, you know, understand the sentiment. And it was, you know, a, a horrible time with horrible things happening. Um, but we, we do, we do have to change our, our, our narrative uh, and, you know, have to understand again, getting back to that electability and winning. And I do not think we can do that without, we've got to be able to uh, attract independent voters and get them over to our side. And, you know, I think that was, one of the reasons that Joe Biden won, he was not, you know, maybe the sexiest candidate, but I think no parties and independents were, you know, they were just tired of, of the chaos of Trump. They were tired of the, of the tweets and the nonsense and, you know, all that. But I, I tell you, I were this, I, this election is going to be not good. <laughs> and that's, that's an understatement. Um, people are, between inflation and gas prices, you know, that's when the independents are, you know, flipping on Joe Biden, even in, in the party, like especially younger Democrats are frustrated with the president because of his, um, uh, they want him to be more uh, aggressive on the student loan forgiveness than he, than he has been. So it's, um, you know, and it, it's wild maybe to me and you, because, you know, he is doing, I believe the best with what he has been given. Um, but his approval ratings right now are on the same line and maybe somewhat lower than Trump's were like right. two, three years ago when, you know, Trump was not, it's not a competent <laughs> individual no. to, to be president. So where you have, now we have a competent president who is in a difficult situation. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's gas groceries um, and, and inflation and people always vote with their pocketbooks. So, it's it, it's going to be tough uh, in the in these swing areas, I think, for us here in in five months. So uh, we got to do the best we can do and, um, you know, hope for the best. Yeah. And, and you're right. I mean, Bill and I've had this conversation. I have argued that not only has Joe Biden and his team done a remarkable job with what they had to work with, um, but that he may well be the best shot at, at keeping the White House in 2024, even at age 82. I, I'm like you, I look at some of the people they're talking about running and I'm like, nope, 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 nope. You know, somebody like, like a Roy Cooper would get my attention um, because I think that's the, that's the spot right there. I think if it's, you know, somebody say, well, AOC should run for president. I'm like, yeah, right. She'll get, you know, Trump would wipe her out. Okay. Uh, you know, so uh, you're right. I think there needs to be more of an emphasis on that. So, um, yeah, I, you're right. I think 22 is going to be, and, and it may be that 22 is necessary for 24 to maybe shock Democrats into the world of reality and realize that we got a real problem here, folks, and you need to come together and maybe even be nice to the Bill Crystals and the Michael Steeles and the Nicole Wallace's of the world because they're trying to help right now. So, mm -hmm. um, but with that, uh, Bill, uh, you know, I will say let's take her home as in to Maryland. 
Absolutely. So, so, and, and Mike, I mean, another point that you and I made that I, I, I heard again in your talk with Steve was we, we Democrats are not a very expansive party. We don't go out and we don't go out and seek new demographics. I mean, we, you know, with, you know, suburban women, you know, we got enough of those back from 2016 to 2020, but but, but, you know, you don't see, you know, the, the pro-growth Democrats, the, the uh, as you were talking about earlier, the Democrats who can make, you know, farm issues and, and, uh, and, um, and, and the like, and small business issues, you know, theirs again. And, and we really need to get back to that. And I believe that very, I mean, my personal feeling, and I'm interested in your impressions, is very few states is is this circular firing squad mentality more in play than Maryland. So as an outsider looking in, and I know that you have uh, some clients in Maryland, what, what's your what's your big picture view of, of Maryland politics? Um, and, and what risks are, you know, do Demo are Democrats taking if you think they're taking any uh, in terms of how of how people here campaign? Um, well, I, I, I got my ballot yesterday, so I have my ballot sitting over on, on, on the table, uh, getting ready to fill, to fill that out. And, uh, you know, I've, um, been kind of watching it for, for about a couple of years. Um, and I will say, I think the Democrats in Maryland are going to have a very strong ticket in in 2022 um at at every you know you have an interesting opportunity that you haven't seen here in decades where you can you're going to elect a new uh governor a new comptroller a new attorney general am i missing anything um, those are the three big big three. big big uh statewide yeah. yes yep. well yeah you know actually to be honest with you um you probably see a little bit more of the infighting than than I do, but you know I'm a little disappointed. I was uh, looking forward to maybe a more of a spirited uh, gubernatorial race. You know, yeah. there's been uh, I saw the uh, Kamenetz video this this morning, yeah. but wow. I'm not I'm not really sure that moves anyone. And is is that just a social media thing? Is there any money behind that? I didn't even know what a Kevin Kamenetz video. No. His, his widow did a video that effectively said, vote for anybody but Peter Francho. And oh, heavens. She unloaded on him about how, you know, he, how uh, Francho treated uh, the late uh, county executive, uh, you know, back in 2018. I mean, it was a whole, very emotional, very impassioned, but it was vote for anybody but and i and to monica's point i don't know if there was any money behind it i've only seen it in social media um I, i'm sure the west more people are more than happy to let it play and circulate but uh, yeah bill that that came out i saw it i think thursday maybe yeah thursday well, yesterday. and bill just proved my point you know he hadn't yeah. seen it so right um, well, well, and I will admit this is a this is an especially somnambulant campaign season. Uh, I, I'm I'm actually flummoxed because one has drama, and at least two out of the three races. Of course, the gubernatorial's race. Um, I was remarking to somebody earlier today that in the attorney general's race, you have our former governor's wife, who's a judge and daughter of a 
beloved former attorney general running against our former governor's lieutenant governor. Isn't that a little bit weird to anybody else than me? Doesn't that make for some sort of bizarreness? I mean, it does speak to the the, the schism between Prince George's County and the rest of Maryland, but on another level, I think to me that's weird. I think that's just plain bizarre. Um, you know, the, the Comptroller's race seems to be, you know, not as exciting as the other two. I think Delegate Learman has, you know, that's yeah. hers to lose and probably has been so from the get-go. And I don't anticipate that um, Mr. Glassman's going to be able to to beat her, uh, nor would I think he would beat Mr. Adams if somehow he were to be the, the nominee. Um, but I mean, in, in, I mean, you know, to, you know, Merrill, you know, to the, um, I guess kind of to, to more the greater point of what we're talking about. And then, and I, I don't want to put you in a position where you may alienate any any potential working relationships, but do you see a potential where a a Republican, be it Schultz or Cox, could become a you know a you know elected governor of Maryland, which would be absolutely historic. I mean, regardless of you know, depending on um, you know which Democrat gets nominated. Or do you think do you think that that's that's just too far fetched to even happen here? I I, I do not. I am I am confident. Like at, at this point, I feel like there are three uh, candidates in the gubernatorial race who could win, and I think all three of them would run competent, stellar, professional uh, campaigns in the general. You know, I wasn't here for the. For the previous two cycles, but what I've heard from people is that the nominees didn't necessarily run the best campaigns. Uh, and, you know, Larry Hogan was, you know, a, a crossover candidate as well who appealed to um, uh, independents. And quite frankly, there are, you know, Democrats in, in the city of Baltimore who I know voted for him. Um, so there was a combination of those two things where a, a blue state has a has a Republican governor. But but no, I, I mean, and I think Michael Steele might have been a formidable candidate um, on the Republican side. But but no, I think uh, whomever the Democratic nominee is uh, for for governor ha has, you know, they they want as long as they don't stop working. And again, I don't think any any of the top tier campaigns are going to do that that you know you will have a democrat um, back in a back in the governor's mansion in in 2022 I am so happy for your faith I wish I 100% shared that faith but you may have increased it a little bit last question before we wrap up Larry Hogan for president yes or no and if yes how does that work out for him you know I was going to bring this up and say this earlier unprompted um, but you know, he's, he's, he's very, unpo he's unpopular in a city like Baltimore, Baltimore city, but, you know, given the choice between him and Trump, um, you know, I'm Hogan, you know, all, all, all day versus Trump, um, you know, because, you know, may not agree with him on everything. And I know there are a lot of Democrats who are upset with him in, in the state of Maryland, but, you know, at this point, I want anyone who is, and what, Hogan's like what 
president or head of no labels or something yeah um trump trump is just such a threat to our democracy and you know especially after january 6th though you know we he he's so dangerous um we 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 said that narrative in 16 hoping it wouldn't be accurate but it is and it it was and it is trump is too dangerous to be in office he's proven that time and time again so you know i would rather I would rather have a, a Hogan over a DeSantis or uh, any other sort of uh, quote unquote, quote, extreme uh, Republican. Like I said, going back to the pro, pro any pro-democracy Republican um, over Trump. So that's. It's, it's a shame we have to say that pro-democracy. Yeah. 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 So. I mean, Imagine saying that six years ago, like it, it, if you told us like in 2015 that we'd be using language like we've got to save our democracy. It's it's, it's just mind boggling how yeah. quickly we have we have fallen. Mm -hmm. I, yeah. I, I, I noodled through the concept of a DeSantis Hogan uh, ticket for 2024. And, and that 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 might be the scariest ticket of all. Yeah. So, Monica, hey, oh, go ahead, Steve. Hey, Monica, just rapid fire question. Last Maryland question here, because it, it feels a lot like the Iowa primary that you were involved in. Uh, you know, Maryland has one Republican congressman, one Andy Harris. Uh, I won't go into my opinions of him. January 6th obviously comes into play there. But the primary feels a lot like what you just went through in Iowa, where you have Heather Miser, who seems to be the darling of the political left, the political establishment. She's getting the money not only from Maryland, but elsewhere. And then you have Dave Harden, Harden I believe his last name is, whose argument simply is she's going to get wiped out by Andy Harris. I've got a puncher's chance. Do either one of them realistically have a chance in Maryland Congressional District 1 against Andy Harris? Uh, I, I think so. I think so. Um, if, if, if you run on the right platform, and like, it's, like we discussed, you know, get some of the... Um, uh, independence, you know, I, I, I think there's, there's a, uh, there's a fighting chance. And I will mention too, we got a little bit of an assist from, from our opponent in our primary as she barely made it on the ballot. Um, and, uh, that led a lot of Democrats to feel like maybe it wasn't a competent candidacy. And then there was, um, accusations of partisanship of the Supreme court after that. So, you know, we had a lot of, a couple of other dynamics in the race, but, yeah, I think that a Democrat will have a fighting chance against Harris. Okay, thank you. Sorry, Bill, I couldn't leave Maryland without throwing that one out there because it's oh, probably the one where there might be something cooked That's a great one. Well, Monica, thank you for joining us. Now is the time we set aside for shameless self-promotion. So, you know, let the viewers and listeners know how they could reach you if they're looking for help. Uh, well, our, our website is www.workhorsestrategies.com. You can email me at monica at workhorsestrategies.com or find us on uh, on social media. So we'd love to, love to help you out. Uh, if you're thinking about running, know someone who's thinking about running or just uh, want to raise your overall uh, communications profile. And if we don't know, if we don't provide the services of how to help you, we will find someone who uh, can help you out through our networking. So again, appreciate the opportunity of having me on. It was a great discussion, I appreciate it. It's our pleasure, it's our pleasure. I wish you much success with, with Admiral Franken and with 
every other race that you're working on in, in 28 or 2018. Oh my God. I'm really on fire today. 2022 too much working the board, Steve. So uh, thank you again to Monica, Steve. Yeah. Thank you. Next week for you viewers and listeners, our last gubernatorial uh, top 10. Will it even be a top 10? Will it be more like about a top five? Um, uh, yeah, we, we, might, we might want to talk about that because I'm still, yeah, you know, with, with, the, yeah. with the exodus, um, you know, getting the 10, I think we're kind of throwing the eight, nine and 10 out there just to say we have them. <laughs> well, we have them, but yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll see. Anyway, yeah. our last rankings for, for before the primary comes up as ballots, as Monica mentioned, go out. I got mine yesterday as well. So for Steve Hunt, my name is Bill Woodcock. We'll see you next week with another edition of Forward Maryland. Have a great weekend, everybody. Take care.